Welcome to the Property Portfolio Podcast with Mark Stokes and Nigel Green. Every week we inspire and guide you towards success in the world of property development, mentorship and fundraising. Before we jump into today's episode, a reminder to join us at equacademy.co.uk where you can gain free access to hundreds of videos and templates to help you on your property development journey. Good morning and a very warm welcome to the Property Portfolio Podcast. And this week, we're talking about the principles of risk that are going to keep you safe as a property developer and as a business person. Something very close to our heart, Mr. Green. It is, Mr. Stokes. How are you this morning? Very well, thank you. Very well, very well. So risk, um, sometimes it's not the most inspirational subject to discuss, but nonetheless, it's something that we've got to remain very grounded There are a lot of risks. And of course, at the fringe of risk lies opportunity. We've got to make sure we we navigate and manage the borders between the two. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, risk management, it also drives a culture within your your approach to any one deal, investment, you know, business that you're operating. Um, Because it, it clearly is a big thing. It's understanding what the risks are, you know, kind of quantifying them, understanding them, mitigating them, you know, scheduling them. You know, we need to we need to have a constant review, Mark, don't we, to to understand what what they are and um, what impact they could potentially have, and and then, of course, if you can't you know, reduce those risks uh, by whatever mechanism, um, you you probably need to bring in some contingency and at what level, you know, and these sort of things. So, lots to think about, and you know, during this half an hour session, I think we're going to touch on quite a few points that hopefully will help the listeners. Yeah. One of the one of the questions we get asked a, a lot by people new to property who might come to us for some support is, um, it's like, I've never done one of these before. How do I do this? How do I do that? And and they can they can overthink and overcomplicate things. And and this is where the, the power of the team is is incredibly important, isn't it? Your professional team that you will engage in in business, in property, um, they're the experts in certain subjects. But what you've got to have is the foresight and the business acumen to identify which experts you need to fill which, uh, uh, to, to manage which, which, uh, all the risks in, in your business. So uh, we have a great uh, rank and profile of a professional team who work for us and consistently as well. We, we had a design meeting yesterday, didn't we? And you know, the specification from the last project, well, it's probably going to represent 90% of the, the specification for the next project. So we're, we're reworking old systems and, and that's, that's evolution, tweaking all the time. Very much so. And, you know, just, just that professional team element, you know, and, you know, don't don't we talk about that a lot? And you know, we've got our, our mentorship session coming up. You know, after this, and we've got some of our, our professional team actually speaking on the mentorship course, which would be great. But you know, we 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 rely on them, don't we? And we, you have to be humble, I think. And and the way we translate that really is, um, you know, we, we'll talk to the team. You know, we'll tell them what we want to achieve, and and we'll just listen. You know, and we, they'll say, "Guys, you don't want to be doing that," <laughs> or or actually, you can do that, but you just need to go left, right, up and down and, you know, deal with these matters. But be careful of these aspects, you know. So you, you kind of get the education and the the ability to put the items on the risk register, potentially from your from your professional team. And and, and also some, sometimes, um, you know, when you're, you're talking about specific items, 
you can be talking about them in isolation of the bigger picture as well. So, you know, to, to have the team on a call, you know, we tend to meet with our teams, you know, if it's not weekly, you know, on some active projects, it might be fortnightly or even monthly, but just, just get them all on the call because, you know, an opinion of one element in isolation might have a consequential effect on the overall in some way or form. So it's good to have everybody on, on the call, everybody agreeing to say, yes, this is the way. And, but also to give people the free voice to say, actually, I think there's going to be an issue there. Because if you do that over there, you're going to cause a problem over here, you know, <laughs> these sort of things. And this, this is how you risk mitigate when you're at that kind of level. You know, you, you just utilize one, your own knowledge. Don't get me wrong. You need that your own education, your own knowledge, but, you know, absolutely use the knowledge of the masses, really. It's um, hugely powerful. It really is. It really is. So the, the the fundamental key steps, if we just canter through them quickly and then we can go through them in a bit more slow motion. Um, so firstly, we've got to have the knowledge of what risk looks like. Um, then we've got to be able to identify the risk on our particular business or our particular project. Um, then we've got to work out how we mitigate that risk, how we remove the risk or reduce it. Then we've got to look at how we can transfer risk, some risk you can't get rid of. Um, so you transfer it into the hands, as you say, of a, a professional team who is able to manage the risk. Um, then we're going to be looking at how do we manage the residual risk? Because I, I think if we set the expectation that risk is a bad thing and, and we're going to have to get rid of absolutely everything, we'd, well, we'd just, the wheels would spin, we'd bog down, we'd never go anywhere in life, would we? So, um, you know, risk, um, you, you've got to take risks and, and you should take risks. There are, there are risks that lead to opportunity, but you've got to be equipped to manage them. So, so first of all is the knowledge. You've got to have the knowledge um, to be able to understand what risk looks like. And I mean, the ECRA IDA is a great example, which catalogues pretty much all the risks there are. If you follow every single line and permutation in that, uh, in, in that uh, deal analytics, you will have covered a very substantial amount of those risks. Very much. There'll always be exceptions, but absolutely the ECRA IDA and you know there's other there's other analysis tools out there. But um, you know that what we use is is it's there to prompt questions. It's there to prompt: is this relevant or is it not relevant? And and in you know in the majority of cases, let's say the answer is not applicable or not relevant or what have you. But if you can just going through that list of questions you know, where ultimately if it is relevant, you'll put a number in there, let's say, you know, it, it helps to mitigate and de-risk, if you like, your, your memory capacity, because, you know, how can you remember everything when you're analysing a deal, you know, so we use these tools to prompt us and to just give us that aha moment to think, actually, there is something we need to consider here. And it might be not a, a case we can just put a number in straight away. Maybe we have to go off and find you know some more detail, come back, more analysis, and then eventually put a number in there. Yeah. Or, or alternatively, it could be asking a question that we're not sure about. So we need to go away, analyze it. It might not then be applicable. So it's not applicable. But that's that's how we de-risk at the first level. You know, and I think from the, the value point of view, which we were just talking about costs there, but from the value point of view in terms of what we're creating. 
you know, in terms of risk management, we, ge- we generally create a high and a low range mark, don't we? You know, so I'm using a couple of different methodologies to, to find those ranges. Um, because if, if you're just working on one number based upon a set of assumptions, chances are you're going to be wrong. You're going to be wrong in a positive way or you're going to be wrong in a negative way. But if you to put a range there, there's a better chance that, you know, your numbers are going to come somewhere within that range. And again, you know, it's a good, it's a good um, uh, process to follow. Contingency as well. You know, if we, if we feel through the, um, you know, whatever we're looking at, that there is some residual risk there. And, and we know in terms of, let's say, the bill cost, you know, the budget that we're going to pop in there for the bill cost. You know, the banks are leading us, aren't they, in that in that regard? And, you know, we need to lead ourselves as well. But is it a 5% contingency or a 10% or a 15 or even more, you know, depending on the nature of the building, whether it's a, an ancient type building or it's a modern type building, you know, there could be a different percentage contingency that we need to we need to consider but I, I think it just that that continues really as you say it's quite it's not a it's not a um you know a very exciting subject but it, I think it drives the culture in terms of any deal that you look at and you know if you're looking at that that contingency number in your 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 development analyzer and um it's 10 percent well okay, that's all I've got. I've only got 10%. So what if it goes to 11%? Well, that's a problem, isn't it? Because it's going to drop off the, the bottom line. So as you're going through your purchasing process, you know, you, you bought the building and now you're into procurement, you'll be tuned in to the fact that I need to build that contingency up to the highest point I can possibly get. So you'll start to buy better. You'll start to push the boundaries of negotiation and see if you can get an extra £1,000 here or £1,000 there. Because thousand pound across every item on the DA is a phenomenal amount of money. You know, yeah. we don't take that straight to straight to profit. We put that into the contingency and start to build the pot even bigger and bigger. And don't get me wrong, if we get to the end of the development and you know we've used none of the contingency, well, brilliant, because that contingency then translates itself into profit. Which is fantastic, and that's where it should should move at that point. But absolutely, stage one, you know, for kind of forget the profit. This is all about building contingency through that procurement phase into the development phase and out the other end. And if there's anything left, great news. Definitely, definitely, wise words there. So we've identified, we've got the knowledge to identify risk. Then we're identifying risk. Then we're looking at how we mitigate risk and remove that risk. Um, <coughs> and that will happen at every stage, as you, as you said. We've had recent design meetings where you know, uh, risk reduction, um, reducing costs, long lead items, that sort of thing. Um, procurement path, what procurement path to follow. Um, how we transfer risk to other parties. Um, I, I'm... On our mentorship session, group mentorship session um, later on this morning, we've got our accountant there, a great example of a key member of our team who helps manage the complexities. Um, he's better at accountancy than we ever will be, and he plays in position for us and is a great vanguard of, of managing that element there. Um, but we bring him in. We don't just ask him to operate the accounts. We bring him in at the front end when we're talking about structure and tax advice. Um, 
again, right at the front end. And uh, every property development that's done these days is pretty much done in a in a, in a in a SaaS or in a um, a limited company, predominantly a limited company. Um, so it's absolutely crucial to to get the basics right. Absolutely. If you can iron the but get that the you know, we call it the three S's, don't we? Structure, structure, structure. If you've got the right structure. Um, you'll iron out a lot of those creases and uh, and manage those issues before they ever become prevalent. Mm. Um, in, um, you know, just to reflect on the perception of risk and what it is, and there's a, there's a natural, I think, lean towards, oh, it's it's associated with overrun of costs. Well, it it is, it is, but it's also other things. You know, it could be, you know, what about overrun a programme? So you've you know you've got a you've got a contractor on board and you know that the program is defined and you've you've aligned your let's say loan facility with that you know you might have gone to the banks and got a development loan and but what about if that program overruns yeah that ultimately will translate itself into into cost and impact but the primary problem is that the the program has moved so you know there's there's a very good simple mitigation there that you know if you're if you're negotiating with the supply chain and you're you, you know you want to kind of bring it in within 12 months whatever it is you know you'll put on the tender documents tender program 10 months so you're building in contingency and program and you might therefore also you know when you're talking to your lender and you're getting your loan facility through in terms of that loan facility period you might have a loan facility of 15 to 18 months. So you're, you're building contingency at all levels to, to hopefully mitigate, you know, something. And that's just one, one example, isn't yeah. it? Many things that don't necessarily start off as a cost item, but translate its, it translates its way into a cost ultimately. Having, um, having clarity on your strategy, long, longer-term strategy as well. Are you buy, develop and sell or buy, develop and hold? Um, we've seen over many years with with our property developments and portfolios, and also in corporate life, uh, there can be quite a healthy or unhealthy tension between capital budgets and or capex and opex budgets, capital expenditure and operational expenditure. Taking an example of, um, well, we we debate these, uh, don't we, on a regular basis? You know, if we're holding, do you want to put? laminate work surfaces in the kitchens or do you want to put granite work surfaces in the kitchens well think of wear and tear think of if they're going to be buy to let products replacements durability carpets hard floors um so looking at preserving a capital budget can cost you an awful lot of money operationally long term so it's it's about choices it is. It is. We've got a really interesting example of something very similar to that, Mark, haven't we, in, in terms of, um, you know, a site that we're looking at. Um, and, um, you know, it's it's an opportunity to um, to maybe not install the garages. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a plot of houses, let's say, you know, just to set the scene, you know, 10, 15 houses, whatever it is. Um, and they've all got garages. Now, um, if that's a buy, develop and sell, then it's probably a good idea to put the garages in because you end up getting the the greater premium on the exit um and probably more desirable because you you know somebody generally we don't use garages for cars these days but you know that somebody has got some a place to put their their things um but if you're on a buy develop and hold 
potentially you could consider not putting the garages in and just having maybe tandem parking. What's the relevance of that? Well, you know, from a, a community infrastructure levy perspective, you know, they cal- calculate their, their levies based upon the, the gross internal area, which includes garages. So you've not only got the premium to actually build a garage, um, you know, but you've got also the the local authority levy as well to consider on top of that. But, you know, in terms of if, you, if you're selling the units or, you, you know, you're, you're selling them down to different companies, those sorts of things, you know, there could be a way that in the first instance you, you know, develop the houses, keep the garages out of it, you know, potentially save. I mean, we, we use a, a SIL expert, don't we, in this in this matter, SIL is community infrastructure levy uh, in this matter, and, and he very well guides us, you know, in terms of the law and the obligations that we've got. But, um, you know, it could be a state where you you don't build in the first instance, you know, you sell the units and then maybe the the future owners, which might be us in a different vehicle, you know, we just build the garages to later date under permitted development with no sill attached. So there's all, there's all these sort of things that just need to be considered. But again, great advice wrapped around it just to make sure you're doing the right thing and not causing a problem a bit further down the, down the track. Definitely. So another piece of advice that um, we took on board probably best part of 30 years ago, Nigel, now in in running our businesses, was the importance of maintaining a a risk register. It doesn't have to be a complex document, but if you've got a document that records um, all the lessons that you've learned, imagine revisiting that document every time you get a new development. It becomes your checklist. and to many, to, to, to many intense purposes, that's what the ECRA IDA does. It, it embodies much of that learning. But there are other things um, that need to go in a, a risk register as well. So if you set up a risk register, just in a basic Excel spreadsheet, start with version one to get to version 10, you know, start to evolve it. Uh, our mentees, um, we, we provide them with a risk register template anyway in the ECRA portal. Um, but you can then use that to look at what is the risk, what is the risk versus probability and severity of that risk actually coming to fruition, what are the measures we're going to take, and therefore how have we reduced that risk. So that's really important from from our perspective, and I believe it is for yours, is to get yourself a risk register to record those lessons learned. And it's a a very simple plan, act, review, improve. Plan, act, review, improve. And that will give you your fast feedback loop in your business. You don't want to wait till the end of a project and then do a wash-up of all your lessons learned. That's 18 months down the track. You, know, you want to have that fast feedback loop. We have a regular weekly call on all of our developments, and I can guarantee you anything that is off the boil or not gone quite right, or in fact has gone really well, and we need to plow back into some of our other developments pretty quick to you know, seize the momentum and the opportunity. Um, so you need somewhere to capture that. So risk register, the ECRI DA, are key tools there for that plan act, review, improve um, is a, a great way of documenting it. When you've got lessons learned, they're so valuable, but think where your lessons learned end up. In your memory, scribbled on a bit of a notepad, 
do you record them in Evernote or something like that? Or is there an actual spreadsheet where you physically record them um, and then they're not lost forever? But if they're just things that end up on your whiteboard at home or scribbled in the back of your book, you'll forget about them and you'll lose that traction. Um, and that that can cost you pounds. Yeah, yeah. And it, it was really the evolution of the our IDA mark, wasn't it? That um, you know, we started with version one and we used those lesson learn process in all aspects from a funding point of view, from a private capital point of view, from a GDV point of view, and a cost point of view. You know, um, you know, I, I pretty much attended most of the most of the progress meetings. And what I wanted was all the bits and pieces that were coming out of those meetings, you know, the, the physical um, uh, the, the physical items that were happening on the sites. I wanted to get that back into the DA. So, you know, I mean, the, the, the site team just dealt with these things uh, amazingly anyway. But, you know, if I can capture those things at the front end and put a small budget against it or do some mitigation measures at that point, as you say, it's a constant learning loop. Just keeps going, keeps going. I mean, we're on, we're on um, version sixty at the moment. I've, I've just updated actually to version sixty point one, so it's not a full upgrade, but it's just it, I've just put a, a few extra bits and pieces in from learnings last week. You're tantalising us, Nigel. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, um, but yeah, so we, we've, we've you know we've upraved and what have you, but you know v- version sixty. I mean, we only started putting the version control in probably about two and a half years ago of the kind of six years we've been doing this, maybe three years ago. Um, so you can just see how many iterations, which is great, isn't it? Because it's evolution. It com- continues to evolve. You know, it goes around the circle. The the feedback from the sites comes back in. It gets updated. We go again, you know, and we're constantly capturing all the various changes. Sometimes it's legislation, so it's nothing to do with the site. It's just government strategies, legislations, changes, all these sorts of things have to get in there. So hugely important. And, and we kind of use that as our front-end mitigation measure, don't we? You know, just to make sure we've captured all those points. So, Nigel, end of yet another podcast um, on a subject close to our hearts. We never apologise for getting nitty-gritty and down in the detail. Um, if it's just five simple steps, then like you, you know it's just going to careen off the surface. This is about getting deep down into what it takes to manage property developments in your business. Good. Well, end of another podcast and look forward to the next episode of Property Portfolio Podcast. You take care, everybody. Thanks, Nigel. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Property Portfolio Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode and that it inspired you on the next leg of your journey. If you've got any questions or comments, why not reach out to us at our Facebook page, Equa Academy. Also, don't forget to register for free access to hundreds of property development videos and templates over at equaacademy.co.uk and we'll see you in next week's episode. Thank you.